Our scripture is Luke 20, verse 45, through Luke 21, verse 4, and it's on page 880 in the Blue Bible. Luke 20, 45 to 21, 4. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My name is Brett Sweet. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Christian Fellowship Central, where we do exist to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community. We're uh, continuing our series through the book of Luke, and we're half of our text we went over last week, and we'll spend a little bit of time on it again this week, and then... Um, it's on the topic of generosity. Let me pray. Lord, we're grateful for your goodness to us. We're grateful that you can be trusted. We're grateful that no one has been more generous than you. You who own all things. You who give yourself. And Lord, we pray that you would give good gifts to your children even now. We pray you would send your spirit in a powerful way, stir him up among us, help us to experience your truth, respond with repentance and faith, and help us to be in awe of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. So you walk into a local coffee shop and you order your favorite drink and you see the little touchpad and it says now it's recommending a certain tip and those tips seem to just keep going up. And as you're standing there waiting for your drink, there's another young man standing there next to you, and you start talking about this tipping phenomenon. Is 25% really where we should start? Uh, has, have the people at McDonald's really earned that much? Or are they being paid fairly enough so that we should pay them more? And you start talking about generosity, and he tells you he loves to be generous. So you go and you sit at adjacent tables, and you ask about how he's so generous how he's given so much to the world. And he starts bragging about how he's been volunteering his time at times against, for the people of Azeroth against invaders. And he says, you know what? When I go and travel in Hyrule, I only shop at small businesses like to support the little guy. And you know what? I've accumulated all kinds of gold rings, but they're really for the creatures of the green hills. And you notice next to his college textbook, a little Nintendo Switch controller. And you realize that his generosity has not been real. It's been unreal. He has been generous in the world of video games. He sees himself as very generous, but he doesn't really get it. And so you 
start to realize who you're dealing with and you say, well, it's nice talking to you. You walk towards your car thinking, get real. So video games, alternative reality, online social media profiles, all these are a chance for us to be unreal, that is, not real, to be fake. We can virtue signal, we say. We're doing all these amazing things we want you to know about, but in reality, it's not real. And that can be the case with our generosity. So our main application this morning is to get real with generosity. Let's get real with generosity. What does it mean? So do you give money only for your own benefit? So you get the sponsorship logo supported by. Do you, look, do you give money just because it makes you feel good? It's all about you or look good. Do you only give when you've achieved your financial goals? Are you willing to trust Jesus except with your money? In this very true historical interaction with Jesus, we'll look at three types of people, three types of people that are going to help us get real with generosity. First, we'll look at the unreal. We'll look at the unreal, then we'll look at the real, and then we'll look at the ideal. The unreal, the real, and the ideal. And Jesus is going to help us get real with generosity. Let's look at the first group. If we want to really be generous, we need to beware the unreal. Beware the unreal. Beware the unreal. Jesus has been in conflict with religious leaders for years now. It's coming to a head. In the coming chapters, he's going to be betrayed and killed. Really, that's just days in advance for him. And we saw last week that there were false teachers that were resisting Jesus. And Jesus ended our sermon last week by saying, beware the scribes. And that word there really means beware constantly, be on your guard all the time, lest you learn from them, and more importantly, you better not be like them, become like them. They have a certain lifestyle these unreal people do, and so let's look at it. We'll look at two things, lifestyle of the unreal, number one. Lifestyle number one, the unreal steal. The unreal steal. Those of you who like Dr. Seuss are going to like this sermon. The unreal steal. Let's look at verses 45 through 47. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses. The unreal are all about themselves. They steal whatever they can. They steal praise that belongs ultimately to God. They want praise. They steal credit that really should go to the humble who's serving behind the scenes. No, they want credit. They want attention. They steal money. They devour widows' houses, which is an exact violation of the commandment found in Jeremiah 7, 6. Don't oppress the sojourner. Don't oppress the fatherless. Don't oppress the widow. So all the claims that the scribes could have are unreal. They are false. They are not real. So beware the unreal. The unreal steal. They steal money and they steal fame and credit that belongs to God. And now lifestyle number two. 
of the unreal. The unreal conceal. The unreal conceal. The unreal conceal. Look at verse 47, the end of it. And for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. It's all about pretense. Jesus is saying the religious system here in this temple, it's all corrupt. It's all corrupt. It's wasted. Things might look okay on the outside. See, that's what corruption does. On the, on the outside, things look okay, but inside, it's rotten. And Jesus is saying, listen, these guys, they're concealing everything. Even their prayers, it's all about pretending. It's all about pretense. So sure, they make long prayers, but it's not real. What they really want is the best parking spot. What they really want are the best clothes. What they really want is fame. That's what they want. And those people exist today. I mentioned last week the Instagram preachers and sneakers. You look them up and you find people, preachers who are willing to take advantage of people so they can have the fanciest clothes or jets. We need to beware those people. They are unreal. Beware those TV prosperity preachers who use religion as a means to get money and comfort and credit and praise for themselves. Beware constantly. And Jesus, when he says that, is saying, beware lest you be like them. Now, in America, we like money, so we're automatically kind of bewaring those. We're, we're always kind of aware of those people who are trying to steal our money. But are we quite as aware of those who steal and conceal through praise? They want to receive praise. And how, importantly, do we avoid being like them? When I was in seminary, to get, on a, to get an A on a paper... Uh, basically, the, the seminary's policy was it had to be good enough to be published in an academic journal. It had to be 97% or better. And some of my papers earned A's. So some of you young people are like, how nerdy can this guy get? And the answer, it seems, is extremely, <laughs> extremely nerdy. But there was one teacher I most wanted to get an A from on my paper. His name is Dr. Michael Kruger. He's the president of Reformed Theologicals Seminary Charlotte campus. At, a, at the time, he was the president of the Evangelical Theological Society, basically the most prestigious position for a Christian academic. And I took his gospels class, and I, he's an expert on early Christianity, and he blew me away with his insights. He made me love Jesus more. He made me more uh, trusting in God's word. And I wanted an A from him. So I worked really hard on my paper. I studied, I wrote it on um, one of the parables in Matthew's gospel. And I turned it in after agonizing over it, editing it multiple times. And I got a little, I got a little well done, couple words of critique, and a B plus or an A minus. And in his critique, he said, you know, Brett, really well done but he didn't use enough Greek, so couldn't give you an A. So what did I do? I took more Greek. Not just to know the Bible better, which did matter to me, not just to be, so I could be a better pastor to you, although that mattered as well to me. My motives were not totally off, but partly because I wanted an A from Dr. Kruger. So I took 
Greek and I struggled, made my way through it. I took his class on Hebrews to Revelation and I was ready. And I wrote my paper. I agonized over it. I used Greek. I submitted the paper. A few days later, it came back and there was an A. And it said, well done, Brett. And then there's about three little comments. And that was it. And I went wading through the paper, looking for any red pen, anything like that. No comments. And I thought, this is what I wanted? This is what I wanted? What was I really after? What did I expect? This guy's busy. Did I really want him to write a paper praising me? Maybe I did. There it was, the A. But it wasn't an A I really wanted. What I wanted was praise. I wanted a proper greeting in the marketplace of academics. I wanted that seat of honor on the list of Dr. Kruger's favorite students, best students. But that would have been concealing, probably. Because the truth is, I'm probably not one of his better students. It's not really who I am. I was steely, in a sense, or I wanted to. I wanted praise, but God's the one who deserves the praise. So I wrote a decent paper. God wrote the Bible, the number one bestseller. He's the one who deserves the praise. And we have to think about that with our generosity, too. Yeah, you, you gave money. So you look up at the white ceilings and you think, I did that. You sit in the comfortable chairs and you think, I hope everybody realizes I did that. The pastors don't have to work two jobs, partly because of me. And the reason why you give is you want praise. You're willing to conceal so that you get praise. And you're willing to do that for other people. So who is it, whose praise do you most want? Maybe like me, it's a teacher. Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's your boss or that parole officer or that one person, you know the one, that when you do that embarrassing thing, you just, just hope, you don't care who else saw it as long as they didn't. You're concealing who you are. Get real. Get real. So long as we're unreal like that, as long as we're obsessed with praise and money, we'll never be real. Here's why. If you're obsessed with praise, you won't be real because you won't really be generous. How can I say that? Because it'll all be about you. If all you care about is you and that's why you do certain things, that is a contradiction from generosity because generosity is always about others. So as long as you are unreal and try to Get praise and money, it won't work. Can't be about us. Now let me say this. When it comes to praise, most of us don't need too much encouragement. Most of us need more encouragement. So some of us hear this and we like, we don't want to flatter people when things are going well. We don't want them to love the praise of men too much like these scribes. But that's not really what we need to worry about. God says, no, encourage them. I'll be at work in their hearts. We'll, I will humble them. So we need to be an encouraging place, an encouraging people who is at work and believe 
that God will be good even when people are tempted to love praise. We're trying to get real with generosity, including money and praise. Get real. We've seen that we need to beware the unreal. We need to beware the unreal. Now let's notice that if we're really going to get real with generosity, we'll celebrate the real. We'll celebrate the real. Celebrate the real. So in in contrast to these very unreal scribes, we meet another person in this temple whom Jesus notices while he's there. It's a widow. A widow. A very unlikely hero in Jesus' day and time. He's going to use her to show the corruption at play here. So how do we know if we're real? This widow is real. How do we know if we're real? Lifestyle number one. Lifestyle number one. Lifestyle number one. The real will kneel. The real will kneel. So if you are knighted in the UK, and we don't live in the UK, here's what happens when you're knighted. You go and you kneel before the king or the queen or the prince or whomever. And while you're kneeling there, think about this. This is a different sort of kneeling. While you're kneeling there, this per- you are defenseless. You are down there, basically incapable of moving quickly, while someone sets a blade inches from your windpipe, your jugular vein, your carotid artery. A little flick, and that's the end. And that really is what this woman is doing when she gives. She kneels down and she puts her life on the line. She kneels down. Look at, in in her heart, she's kneeling down. Look at verses 1 through 3. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this widow has put in more than all of them. This widow's put in less than a penny, less than a penny. The note in the margin says that that's the equivalent of either one 128th of a denarius or one 132nd of a daily wage. It's nothing. It's nothing. It will make no difference to the temple whether she gives this money or not. Jesus gets math, okay? He gets it. He knows what's greater and what's less. But she kneels. She kneels before God. She cares what God thinks, not what's going on in the temple system. She's real. She's spiritually kneeling before a holy God, even if it costs her her life. And Jesus celebrates her. Jesus celebrates her. So if we're going to get real with generosity, we have to celebrate the real. The real will kneel. And there's a related aspect, lifestyle number two. Lifestyle number two, the real will feel. The real will feel. And by feel, I mean it's inescapable to really be generous without feeling it, without it feeling like there's a cost. Look at verse four again. Verse four. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So like I said, Jesus gets math. 
He knows there's a difference between someone giving a year's worth of wages, a month's worth of wages, a day's worth of wages in this tiny little bit. But he also seems to say that generosity is relative. You have to feel it. These people who are giving out of their abundance, he says, they still got their abundance, implying they don't really feel it. They're still rich. But this lady, she says, here's the sword, God. I don't know if, I'm, if this is going to cost me my life, if you're going to take it now. But here it is. I don't know what you want to do, but I'm happy to please you even if it kills me. And that happens, by the way, if you study the Old Testament multiple times. Daniel's friends in the furnace, if God kills us, okay. David being driven out from Absalom, God might kill me, okay. They feel it. They kneel, ready for God to get his glory no matter what happens to them. So there's lots of points of application here for this widow. Let me point out a few things. We'll try to stay close to the generosity theme, but we'll widen it a little bit. First, really, is your generosity real? Do you kneel before God when you give? Do you feel it? Is it, as the, that Old Testament and New Testament language, is it a sacrifice? Is it a sacrifice? If not, it's probably not real. If it doesn't if you don't feel it. See, those people contribute out of their abundance. Jesus says, do you feel it? And it doesn't seem to be about the amount of dollars. That doesn't seem to be the issue. It's the amount of faith and what's relative to our income. And if you won't kneel before God with your money, you're kneeling before something else. Maybe it's your own self, or maybe it is money itself. We have to feel it. That's how God grows us in our faith. This poor widow gave up everything, and Jesus praises her. Now, some of you are thinking, wow, got a lot of money in the bank account. I guess he wants me to give everything next week. Maybe. But here's the qualifier that we learn elsewhere in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 16. God doesn't usually require us to give so much that we become destitute like this widow. Very rare. Very rare does he require that. He tells us, though, that we should give generously. We should feel it. We should feel it a little bit. And we should give regularly. I learned, I had this really exciting book I read on my study leave about church budgeting. It's great. But what I learned from that book is giving regularly really matters. So imagine for a moment that you give all the money you give over the course of a year, but you wait till December 20th to do it. So yeah, actually the annual income of the whole church all comes in on that one week. That's great. But in the meantime, the bills actually weren't paid. Pastors didn't get their income, which the Bible encourages. Their families went hungry. The building might have been repossessed. So giving regularly actually matters. And this means that for some of us, some of us are actually doing better than we realize. Some of us are doing worse than we realize. Some of us are doing worse 
because we're trusting and, you know, I gave X amount of money and it seems like a lot of money on paper. But really, you don't think about it. You don't pray about it. It doesn't really impact what you do. You're still buying all the toys you want. Still spending money however you want. You're still mostly thinking about yourself. So even though you're giving lots of money, you might be doing worse than you realize. And some of you might be doing even better than you realize. You're thinking, man, I, I, don't, I don't know how we're going to pay all the bills if I give a little bit of money this month. And, and honestly, is it going to make much difference to our church? Jesus says, that's real. You might be doing much better. You, you probably don't need to give more. Now this, there's some questions here. So giving out of each paycheck, probably a good idea. That's regular. Um, planning to give, also important. Um, how does that work here? We don't pass a plate or anything or a bag like that. We have a box in the back there. You can give money to uh, the ministry of this church. That's the normal general fund. We're trying to reach people with the gospel. That's the end result. The only reason why we pay pastors is to try to equip you to spread the gospel. That's why we do that. There's also, and it pays for facilities and stuff like that as well, bills. Um, we also have a benevolence fund you can give to that allows us to distribute that money to members in need. We're always looking for ways to give that money away, encourage people, help people in crisis. And we just started a third category, which is a building fund. Let me explain why that might be important. One, we don't know if we'll be in this building forever, but even if we are, in the last month, we've had uh, copper wiring stole from our uh, AC units. We have a window now that's broken down by the fellowship hall. Um, the heating and AC apparently is not working this morning properly. Uh, and we talked to, uh, actually Jeremy Lyrell reached out to an insurance agent and said, should we file a claim for the people who stole this? And the insurance agent's like, you shouldn't. Because the industry is getting hit so hard that you get a series of claims, you won't be able to get insurance at all. So we want to be able to pay for those sorts of expenses if needed without filing insurance claims in case somebody ever burns the building down or something like that. We can actually make a claim then. And that's my friend Miles Rohde who's downtown at Redemption Church. He's, live, he's living that reality right now. So we need... We need to recognize that there are needs here. But more importantly, you are a generous church. You're a generous church. You give generously. You're really grateful. God's really pleased with you. Dave and I are willing to take pay cuts or whatever to advance the kingdom, whatever's needed. Um, but God is pleased. But there's another application from this widow. Again, it's one of Luke's unlikely heroes. Maybe you're here and you're like this poor widow. Doesn't feel like you have much to offer at all. Got all that baggage from PTSD. You've committed sins that you know are sins. You're ashamed of them. You don't want anybody else to know. You're worried what people would think of you if they knew. You wonder if there's a place for you here in this church. You're uneducated. You have no idea where to find certain books of the Bible. Y 
you're not white like most of the people here. You're too old or too poor. You're too young or unemployed. We want this to be a place for you. We want this to be a place for you. There might be some awkwardness at times. It might be a little bit uncomfortable. That's always the case in relationships. It might take a couple years to feel fully at home here, but we want you to know this is a place for you. Even if you feel like you've got nothing to offer, great. Because in the end, God owns everything. We're always receiving way more from God than we're giving him. We want you to know that even if we make dumb mistakes and sin against you, there's a place for you here. You have a meaningful role like this widow in building God's kingdom here. We want you to be real. We want you to be real. And we want to be real in our generosity to you. Now, one more comment here. If you don't kneel before Jesus, which we'll see is the ideal, if you don't rely on him, then you'll face him. You'll be exposed as one of these unreal people here. Listen to Isaiah's warning of the day of the Lord and the futility of money and praise from men. Isaiah, this is chapter 2, verse 20, I think is where this starts. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs, from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty, when he rises to terrify the earth. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. For of what account is he? Don't trust in money and wealth. Don't trust in it. The day of judgment, you'll want to throw it away. Give it anywhere. You'll want to be spared from it. But when you're real, when you kneel before God, here's the amazing thing. God always exalts the humble. He always saves the people who trust in him. So when you come to him, relying on him, believing in him, you can be confident he will use your faith for your good, and he will rescue you on the merits of Jesus. Let's get real with generosity. To do so, we'll beware the unreal, we'll celebrate the real, and now lastly, third, we need the ideal. We need the ideal. We need the ideal. We'll never be real, we'll never be generous until we look at Jesus. Never, ever. He's the ideal. Perfect God, perfect man. We'll never understand generosity without him. So what do we notice here about Jesus? What's the help we can get? Well, he's the ideal. The first thing, the first help we'll get is the ideal came to reveal. The ideal came to reveal. He's revealing things to us. Look at verse 47 to the end, well, really to most of verse 3. Talking about people who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. He saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. If Jesus, the ideal, had not come, I wouldn't know that two little coins would be worth more than thousands of dollars. I wouldn't know that. Would you? 
But Jesus is the ideal, so we need him to reveal that to us. We need, we need him to reveal that there's people that look good on the outside that inside are spiritually dead. We need him to reveal that. If we didn't, we would just assume appearances are reality. We wouldn't know that false teaching and hypocrisy actually leads to a greater condemnation. Condemnation is always a death penalty. A greater condemnation is a more painful hell for eternity. We wouldn't know that less than a penny could be more than a million dollars. I wouldn't know that. We need the ideal, and the ideal came to reveal. We need the ideal. He helps us because he reveals things to us. And now, help number two, last thing. The ideal empowers us to be real. The ideal empowers us to be real. Jesus always goes after our hearts. He's always going after our hearts. It's not just money. It's the love of money. It's not just prayers, but why do you pray? And the, he's the ideal, and he's going to go after our hearts. He goes after our motives. Look at verse 4. He hints really at himself here. Talking about the widow, out of her poverty, she put, put in all she had to live on. She was laying her life on the line. Maybe the widow lives, maybe the widow dies, we don't know. But Jesus is the ideal here. He came and laid down his life. He laid down all he had to live on. That's it. Jesus knew what he was doing. The widow really didn't know, but Jesus knew so Jesus is challenging the corruption. He's saying, you, you're putting on the outside. Well, look, here's, here's the good thing. This lady's putting in everything she has to live on. And he's thinking, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. See, we, he knows he's challenging this corruption. He knows these people are unreal. They steal, they conceal. And he knows that about you. And he knows that about me. Because you're not often really, truly generous. You're often unreal. He recognizes if they keep living like this selfish, stingy, ungenerous, sinful lifestyle, it's going to cost him his life if he challenges them. He knows that. But he's God, he owns everything. He's the ideal of generosity. He's richer than all. Listen to these texts, and we'll see how the ideal empowers us to be real. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Our giving is motivated by him, not by some pastor saying, give more. Give more, please. Please, sir, can I have some more? That's not what empowers us. It's the good news of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace that's like gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. There's the ideal, giving everything he had to live on. Look at Philipp listen to Philippians 2. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient by, to the point of death, even death on a cross. The ideal gave everything he had to live on. 
He gave it all. Why? Because we needed it all. We needed him to give up everything so that we could be saved from being unreal, from relying on our own selves. And when we see that, that's like food for the Holy Spirit. The gospel starts empowering the spirit within us. We think, I want to be like that. I don't have to be like that. I just want to be like that. If he's willing to give everything, I can give things up. And he's willing to die. He's willing to give up his role in heaven where he's getting praise. I don't need praise. I don't need to steal the praise of others. I can be real. I could be in hell right now, but no. I've been entrusted with riches. I can give to God's kingdom. I can pray that the kingdom would expand, can seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. I can be real. And he came and lived and died for people who aren't naturally generous. People who are always self-interested. People who sin again and again and again. Who do religious things just to look good. When we've knelt before Jesus, when we see this, here's what we recognize. We can kneel before Jesus and hand him the sword. Say, Jesus, you're so good. You've given up so much. You can do whatever you want with me, even if it costs me my life. And we'll trust him. We'll actually know that he won't actually harm us. There will be pains, but he'll be good to us. He'll protect us. If he gave up his life for us, he can be trusted. That's how you become real. That's how you become generous. You look at the ideal and he changes you. Changes you. The one who gave up everything he had to live on. And he'll energize you. It'll empower you to pray. It'll empower you to give. Now with $33 trillion in debt, it is likely that this country is headed for significantly hard times. Maybe our generation, maybe our kids, maybe our grandkids, I'm not sure. But if we're real with our generosity, God's people are going to look different to this culture. We'll probably be supporting one another when things are really hard. We'll probably be supporting our neighbors who don't know Jesus a little bit. We'll be generous in a way they've never, ever seen. And that will build God's kingdom. And they'll say, how, is, how on earth? Why would you give stuff away when your life's in danger? You say, because we're following a crucified Savior who gave everything he had to live on. I'm going to live with him forever. Maybe I live, maybe I die because of my generosity. But I'm following one who's given up everything for me. In the Lord of the Rings, which I'm a, there's another way I might be a nerd, Tolkien makes this really profound observation through Faramir, the great captain. He says, praise from the praiseworthy is beyond all rewards. Praise from the praiseworthy is beyond all rewards. Why did I want the A from Dr. Kruger? Because we're made that way. We're made to want to be encouraged. We're made to want to be celebrated a little bit 
our sin just makes that go, away, go awry. And Jesus praises this poor widow. Nobody deserves praise more than Jesus. Jesus says, this widow, nobody's been generous like her. And every Christian who's come to Jesus in faith, here's what they hear. This is my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased from God the Father. This is Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Praise from the praiseworthy one, the ideal, the greatest reward. Greater than money, greater than selfishness. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that we have an ideal, and it's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that we would be free to be honest with what we're really like and not try to pretend so that we get praised by others. Pray we would beware being unreal in that way. And we pray that we would be real. We would be real with our sins and struggles. We would be real with what, where we're really wasting our money and what we're really living for. And we pray that when we see Jesus giving up everything, that we would be changed. Spirit, change us as a church. Help us to continue in what we're doing well. Help us to grow in where we need it. And help us to be a people who live for your glory and not our own. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to celebrate communion, and I'm, I want to read from 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Some of you here have felt pressure in this church to be unreal, to put on a show, to hide things. But here's the thing. Jesus died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. He had his body broken, his blood shed for uh, for us. So everybody who participates in that as a Christian is part of one body. You don't need to be unreal anymore. You can be real together. And this is meant to be a picture of all of us being real together, loving one another, being one with one another. Not because we're perfect, not because we're more generous, but because someone has united us and it cost him his life and he was pleased to give it. It pleased him, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So if you're here and you're trusting that Jesus satisfied the wrath of God in your place by having his body broken, this meal is for you. That's what this bread represents. If you're here and you're a Christian trusting that Jesus' blood cleanses you from all unrighteousness, this meal is for you. If you're not a Christian, we would ask that you stay in your seat, and that's not to make you feel guilty in any way, but we want you to, to feel a little bit that you're on the outside, that you're not participating yet in the body of Christ, not only as a community, but more particularly by faith, receiving the blessing where Jesus gave up everything for us. But we don't want you to stay there forever. So if you have questions, concerns, come talk to us. We'd love to pray for you. How does this work? We make two, uh, two lines down the aisle. You'll probably catch on pretty quickly if you're new here. Um, you can 
partake of the bread and wine, and we have grape juice as well, on the spot. You can drop the cups in the garbage cans. We'll have elders and wives on stage to pray for you if you need prayer for anything. Um, and, but most of all, we want to celebrate the ideal right now, rejoicing that Jesus became poor for us so we could be generous, not just with our money, but with our relationships with others. So take a moment, reflect on these wonderful truths, and then I'll call you forward. Uh, musicians, elders, wives, you're free to come forward now.